What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. This is Resistance in Residence, where we profile artists using their gifts to change the world. This week's Resistance in Residence artist is arts organizer, screen printer, banner maker, anti-war activist, direct action organizer, and author, David Solnit. David, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it is our pleasure, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you about how you develop your art in conversation with social movements. But before we get there, we like to start these interviews with some earlier context. David, what were your initial experiences making visual arts as a young person and what was your kind of earlier artistic development process? Thank you for asking. Uh, you know, going through grade school, I was always drawn towards the art and that was sort of how I, uh, how I kept myself grounded and going through what, you know, through public schooling. And, uh, so as a young person really gravitated towards art making, ceramics, painting, all that kind of stuff and, and studied artists and read about them and wanted to be an artist you know, and into my teenage years and then uh, was blessed to have artists in the school's programs and so got to mentor with some amazing artists. Uh, shout out to Dexter Bacon, Donnelly Rappaport, artists entering the high schools. But then, uh, you know, as a teenager saw, you know, we were about to get, we thought we were going to get drafted in high school for a war over oil in the Middle East and there's a lot wrong in the world, and I didn't quite see how being a successful artist and selling a painting to a person with some money to hang over their couch was going to change the world. So I, I sort of put that down and became a organizer for the next decade and a half and supported myself in construction and carpentry. Well, I don't want to out you too much, but I'm wondering if you can tell us when that was, that that decade that you that you committed yourself and kind of moved specifically toward organizing. Um, there's been so many wars for oil in the Middle East. What are you referring to there? Yeah, This was the, I was a 16 year old in high school in 1979. President Carter uh, had sent the Mujahideen into Afghanistan. Uh, there was a, an oil crisis, OPEC was asserting themselves and uh you know and so president carter partly as a saber rattling measure reintroduced draft registration the first time since the not that long ago vietnam war and so you know all the kids in my high school i was in portland oregon at the time we thought they're gonna draft us for a war in the middle east over oil and uh you know gas lines were long people were a little stressed so we, my high school, kids in my high school started organizing and like, hell no, we won't go. We won't die for Texaco. And uh, got school board to pass resolutions. We had rallies, punk rock concerts, statewide mobilizations, all kinds of stuff. So that, that introduced me to organizing. It's a, it's an awesome introduction to organizing. And also I, I appreciate how you drew your earlier arts experience into it. What was the first time, can you remember the first time that you specifically engaged in protest as an artist? Um, in my brief research before our conversation, I saw that you were making 
puppets in a, a Hiroshima Day demonstration in 1989. Um, I have a feeling it might have started before that, though. Yeah, I mean, uh, I sort of, I, I hadn't fully integrated uh, my my love of art, arts making with uh, my organizing. So I sort of, I set down the organize, I set down the arts and picked up organizing and was involved in a lot of, uh, a lot of movements, the central, fighting the Central America wars, the anti-nuclear power and weapons movement, the disarmament movement, trying to stop the U.S. empire from blowing up the world together with the Soviet empire. But uh, after 15 years of organizing, I realized that uh, we needed better ways of communicating and reaching people and inspiring people, including ourselves. And so I actually started to reach out to artists that I knew and said, will you help reshape our demonstrations and bring in the art and the culture? You know, and that, that was, uh, you know, that was probably the, in the, the late 80s, I was spent five years organizing to shut down the Nevada test site with the Western Shoshone folks whose land it's on and started to bring art in there when my friend studied, uh, Kay Ruby, shout out, uh, studied with Heart of the Beast Puppetry, which is one of the bread and puppet inspired puppet theater companies out of Minneapolis. She learned how to make beautiful puppets in community arts workshops. And so we did that here in San Francisco for uh, an action at Livermore Labs, you know, and, and coupled it. We said, uh, home's not bombs. So we, we used the puppets at a demonstration out at Livermore against the bombs. Then we worked with uh, Oak of the Union of the Homeless and broke into some federally owned houses, and some of which became permanent low-income housing. And and But we used puppets and theater in the sense of pageantry. So we're really, really trying to figure out how do we reshape what a demonstration is so it's not predictable. Looking back on that, how do you see that in terms of success? Protest has, of course, continued in sometimes very huge and and mobilized dramatic ways uh, since you started doing it. Your art at this point is all over the place. We're going to move through time in a, in just a minute to kind of talk through some of the different protests you've been involved with. But just reflecting back on kind of reshaping protest and the role of art there, um, you 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 were describing that you went into that process with that very specific intention has it has it been successful in your mind yeah i mean i i i came back to arts after 15 years of organizing in which i didn't really center arts and culture you know i came at it as a organizer looking for the strategy of how we're gonna how we're gonna win the things we need for our communities and stop the bad stuff from happening you know, and an analysis that how we understand the world uh, and our consciousness is shaped by not by facts and figures, but by stories and narratives, and that the arts and culture are the the vehicles, the containers through which those stories are carried. You know, and that's that's how power holders and the folks who keep everyone down they have uh, you know control narratives using propaganda, the media you know, to try and keep people divided or, you know, uh, disempowered. So on some level, if we want to win, we have to actually become better storytellers. And my belief is, you know, and I think history shows that 
the most powerful way to tell stories is through the arts. And, you know, I do visual arts, but also through music, through, uh, through video, through all the different forms of arts that tell stories, poetry, you know, and so, uh, so it's really, I came back to arts cause I wanted to, to win our movements, to win the things our communities needed. And I knew that we needed to not just add, you know, a musician the day before, or, you know, have a pretty sign, but to actually use the arts to deeply uh, and powerfully lift up our lived stories and make them more powerful than the power holder stories. Well, and let's engage a little bit right now in that storytelling. You've been involved in quite a few protest movements over the past handful of decades. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if we can reach back and touch on a few of those hoping that maybe you could share maybe a memory of the protest time as well as one favorite um, art project that you work in there, uh, th that you were involved with in there. Um, wondering if we can start now. I mean, you talked about some of the older experiences. I'm wondering if now if we can go back to 1999 with the WTO protests in Seattle. Yeah, no, 1999 in the, the mid 90s, uh, we had a network of uh, arts collectives called Art and Revolution up and down the West Coast and, you know, some in Milwaukee and other cities and uh, sort of an emergent desire amongst a lot of anti-authoritarians uh, and young radicals to try and figure out how can we use art and street theater and puppetry to try and reshape what the demonstrations look like. You know, and we were very inspired by the Zapatistas in Mexico who you know, organized an uprising in Chiapas and throughout Mexico. And it was very different than past uprisings. They had a sense of poetry and theater and uh, used their culture. So we we're like, well, what does that look like up north? So, uh, so we took everything we had learned about using art and culture. And we heard the, the World Trade Organization was coming to the United States. Initially, it was going to be in San Diego in California, but then moved to Seattle. And so we used uh, arts organizing at every step. You know, no one knew what the WTO was. So we created uh, street theater with music and puppets to basically break down. This is what corporate globalization is. This is how it impacts your community and hurts you. And we partnered with uh, a couple of folks who are impacted. A locked out uh, steel worker steel worker from uh, Spokane, Washington, and a former sweatshop worker from Saipan who had been uh, had to leave when she tried to unionize. And so we told the story of corporate globalization using these forms and, and you know, mixed up with the real life stories of those folks. Traveled around uh, and taught people. We do a performance and then show people how to make art and puppets and also train them for direct action and invite them come to Seattle. You know, and also use these workshops to work with locked out steel workers in Spokane and help them make their art and then built alliances between younger direct action folks and uh, steel workers union and other unions. And so, you know, and we called, uh, we had a network of groups up and down the West Coast, the Direct Action Network. And we called not just for a mass shutdown direct action, but also for a festival of resistance and to use art and theater uh, and build it up, you know, and so when the WTO actually met, we had called for a shutdown that 
we not only physically shut shut it down with thousands of people physically shut shutting down the conference center on uh, November first, nineteen ninety nine, but also created a festival of resistance with uh, spoken word and hip hop and giant puppets and theater all over the streets. You know, and that was contrasted with the theater of the police who dressed like Darth Vader's and shot tear gas and pepper spray and projectiles at us. So it's, it's that was a you know, that was sort of taking everything we had learned in the anti-sweatshop movements, working with labor unions, environmental and earth first groups, and, uh, you know, pushing it as far as we could, you know, with a mass mobilization and also realizing that art is a great way to build alliances between different movements. When you make art together or use images, you can, you can, uh, work together well. So that, that action ended up shutting down the WTO and, uh, throwing them off track for their plan to impose a corporate globalization on the planet, which they had to go about other ways. But they, uh, by the end of the week, the, the talks had collapsed in failure due to the street heat uh, in Seattle mixed with uh, the, the pressure from the global south where mass movements were also pushing their governments not to sign on and uh, give up their sovereignty and uh, to, to the U.S. and the rich countries. It's really great to hear specifically about the role of art in that process. I want to move us forward just a few years to the protests in uh, the ones I was exposed to that your art was at was in the Bay Area. I don't know if your art was uh, in other places as well, but lead in the in the lead up to the invasions of uh, Iraq and in the invasion of Afghanistan and then in protests against the uh, war in Iraq once it started in 2003. Can, can you bring us there in time um, and talk a little bit about specifically the role that your artwork work played? Well, and I, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an artist in that I make art, but I call myself an arts organizer. So the art isn't mine. I, I try to work as an organizer and make art together with lots of people. So, you know, typically the art that I, if I'm doing well, facilitate for a public action you know, has dozens of people who made it, many times different artists design pieces. Uh, so it's really trying to, you know, as an organizer, using art and culture is a huge way to to maximize participation and involve people who might, may not be involved in other ways. So, so just saying that. Uh, I mean, it, it, around the, the Iraq war in particular, uh, just a, I was focused a little bit more on the direct action organizing. I was part of a huge Bay Area-wide coalition called Direct Action to Stop the War. And we were the, the one group that said we should actually have a plan of what to do if the U.S. invades because all the other formations were focused on trying to prevent the U.S. from invading. So we, we said, let's shut down the the San Francisco Financial District and all of the government and corporate offices connected to profiteering off the war or furthering it if if the US invades and we thought that would you know let them know that there would be a political cost if they went ahead and invaded there would be some social unrest so the US did invade on uh in 2003 March 20th and so the next day uh you know we had we had gotten the word out, and honestly, we were using a similar model as the Seattle WTO shutdown, the idea that 
people would self-organize themselves into affinity groups and different clusters of affinity groups would take on. We divided the uh, San Francisco Financial District, identified the key arteries and uh, institutions and figured out if we could if we could get clusters of affinity groups to shut down all the key intersections and blockade all the corporations and government offices we could have an impact and you know and, and similar to Seattle you know we had our group our organized group of folks shutting those things down but what was amazing is it turned from an organized protest into a, a public rebellion in that thousands you know we were probably 10 or 20,000 people from all over the Bay Area and the region, they knew in advance if the war starts, head to downtown San Francisco first thing in the morning. And so literally thousands of people who were not part of the organized group just showed up and wanted to do something. They were shocked that the invasion had gone ahead. And I think we the police arrested over well over a thousand people that day. You know, and, and a lot of the people were blockading and then they get up and move before the police could get information to arrest them. But the police admitted that we actually, we shut down the, the city that day and uh, we out, outmaneuvered them and then continued that for the next several days and then continued a series of mass direct actions at different uh, war profiteers uh, in the following months. But, and, and used art throughout that, both picket signs, uh, banners, that kind of art, patches. And then, you know, the uh, the other thing I realized as I get older is that a, uh, that uh, uh, a theater performance and a demonstration are very similar and that a direct action is a form of performance, not in a negative way, but that we're actually communicating and creating a crisis and trying to shift consciousness using you know, the only things we ultimately have, which is our voices, our bodies, and the things we make with our hands. So I, I'm, I'm reflecting back on that war as, as we're confronting the current war against uh, Gaza and Palestine. Absolutely. That was, that was a very powerful time for me as well. I was one of those people who are not plugged into organizing bodies or affinity groups. But as a young person, I, I believe I was 16 at the time of the invasion, the U.S. invasion of Iraq in 2003. I went to San Francisco and, and had a very incredible and humbling um, experience that I've also been doing a lot of reflecting on now that there is an active anti-war movement um, against Israel's um, bombardments of Gaza. We're going to get there in just one second. I wanted to touch on one or two more protest pieces that came before this latest round. Um, wondering if you can talk a little bit about the work you've done to support climate justice protests. Um, I, I believe some of that work came around the 2010s. Yeah, I think... Uh... And got recruited into the climate justice movement in 2009, though, uh, with our global justice work, you know, from Seattle and before and after we had we had always had a, a, a climate or global warming analysis at that time that that, you know, this was one of the impacts of corporate capitalism. But in 2009, uh, the world's governments met in Copenhagen and we organized uh, a mass mobilization here in the Bay Area uh, and did a series of actions focused on the Chevron oil refinery in Richmond. 
um, with rallies and marches and used art throughout that to try and, uh, you know, lift up an emerging global justice movement. And, and that's been a, a primary area for me, uh, to focus on it. And similar to, uh, corporate globalization of the, the nineties and early O's, uh, Climate justice is something that offers us the potential to unify all the different communities that are impacted by it all over the planet. So it's a, a potentially revolutionary framework and also an essential one for us to survive. So, so yeah, I've been trying to sort of continue my experiment with how can we use art and culture to, to strengthen, lift up our movements and communities. And some of the forms have been uh, a lot of giant street murals outside uh, banks and corporate offices. One powerful one that comes to mind is uh, BlackRock is one of the world's largest investors that bankroll on profits off the fossil fuel industry. They have offices in downtown San Francisco. So while the world's governments were meeting in Calgary, uh, Scotland, a couple years ago, we did a mass demonstration outside BlackRock uh, Extinction Rebellion and others blockaded their doors, banners, hangers, climbed on the, uh, the structures around them and did banner hangs. But we invited, uh, I think, about 30 different community groups to do uh, murals. We shut down the streets in front of them, and each group did a mural, what's their solution to climate change and injustice. Uh, and some of the groups, uh, we invited folks from Paradise, California, and we actually made paint with them where we gathered ashes from those fires and made a, a gray charcoal and ash paint. And so a lot of the paint that was used in some of those murals was actually paint from the impacts of the investments of BlackRock and the fossil fuel industry and corporate capitalism. So very powerful. And, and just to have a mass event in which we literally had hundreds of people taking over, shutting down, and painting the streets, and in collective uh, lifted up a, a giant image by indigenous uh, artist Jackie Fawn from up in Northern California, uh, and transformed uh, two blocks of the street into a giant street mural while shutting down the, the, the Black Rock headquarters. So that, that, to me, was a wonderful way of how can we rethink our demonstrations and use art and, you know, use it as a tool, but both let people express themselves, but also to transform how we take action in public. And I, I mean, that's a theme of what you've been doing for so long, storytelling and how we transform things um, as we take public action. I, I want to move us forward. There's so many more things you've been involved with, so many more projects. I wanted to ask you about your support and your work with the Oakland teacher strikes, but I think in the interest of time, I want to move us forward to this moment now. Your art's been at the forefront of many of our Bay Area protests for a free Palestine. Um, I'm, I'm wondering... We'll talk about Palestine in just a minute, but just focusing on the art, is there is there one of those um, protests or one of those pieces of artwork in particular that you would like to highlight or think of um, feeling very strongly or proud of in particular? I mean, first, I think uh, I see myself as sort of uh, an arts and cultural organizing bird in 
I think I'm, I'm one of many that there's an emergent intelligence amongst a lot of people who work in arts and culture. And so I'm, I think there's a really healthy ecosystem that a lot of people see that we need the art, we need the culture and need to weave it into our organizing. So, I, so there's actually quite a few folks in the Bay Area nationally, you know, as well as, you know, a lot of the artists, poets and theater groups in Palestine that are, are leading the way together. Um, what was, uh, I mean, the other day, uh, I was invited to help with art for, uh, uh, an ad hoc coalition of groups that decided to start the new year's Eve, uh, with a wake up call to Nancy Pelosi in front of her house, very peacefully, uh, using song and music to call on her to represent her constituents who overwhelmingly favor a ceasefire. And so we, we brought out signs and banners, but we also said, let's do a street mural on the intersection in front of her house. And so, uh, you know, it was probably 25 people who showed up. We passed out paintbrushes, chalked out a design and painted a quote from the, the Pope who, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi is Catholic. And when the local right wing, uh, anti-choice archbishop refused to give her communion, she went to the Vatican and got communion from Pope Francis and Pope Francis says, you know, it's just a message to Pelosi, uh, uh, I, I implore you in the name of God, ceasefire. And so we, Pope Francis, so we painted that directly in front of her house. Well, uh, peacefully calling on her to, uh, to, to respect and represent her constituents. And so that's, you know, just trying to think about how can how can we involve people? How can we use art and theater? And that protest outside Nancy Pelosi's house is a good example of what I wanted to ask about next is that many of the protests you've developed art alongside have been planned very privately or secretly because of security needs um, and adding the element of surprise for a protest. What What's it like for you to communicate um, alongside comrades and with movement organizers ahead of time and to bring folks along with you while, you know, maintaining that uh, privacy and security. I, I mean, the the organizers had chosen a, that one to organize it uh, quietly. So I, I was just showing up and, and bringing on the art. And I should mention that the other parts of art and his magic when this happens was musicians, peace poets and other song leaders, an amazing group of drummers and musicians. Uh, but honestly, most of the, we do, we've, we've had, uh, been doing giant block long street murals for a decade and we usually publicly announce it. And, uh, you know, and sometimes when they know you're coming, that's as disruptive as when you're actually there. So it, it, we often, uh, you know, and if you want to get thousands of people there, it's hard to keep it secret. So some of the actions are, are sneaky, but a lot of them are very public. So I, I've really just been following the lead of the, the organizers in the Bay Area and trying to figure out how can we make art that suits their needs. So, you know, we did a, a there's a Jewish coalition for a ceasefire that did a, a Shabbat a ceasefire rally at Lake Merritt the other day. And so I, I was invited to help contribute art. And so we did, you know, two Shabbat candles as a design and 
painted them on 20 foot tall vertical banners. And then also we're joined by the Rich City Rays, which is a kayak activist group. And we rigged uh, banners on the front of their kayak. So there was the, the ceasefire images of uh, candles that said within them, uh, Jews for a ceasefire, uh, paddling along Lake Merritt as people had a, a Shabbat service and rally right on the, the edge there in the amphitheater. So it's just, you know, and, and at the same time, folks were bringing, uh, you know, from the Jewish diaspora music and culture on, on the stage and so forth. Um, I, I have to ask because there's been so many protests, so many materials involved, and of course, so much of your time. How, how is this stuff funded? Where does, where is money involved? And I know we're maybe not talking big money in the scale of, you know, Bay Area tech money context, but there are costs to these things and, and there's a lot of time and energy being put in. Um, what, what's the what's the funding context that you work with? I mean, I, I, I work with a, a team of folks. Uh, Gemma Searle is a core co-organizer. We call her Project climate justice arts project, although we also work on workers and anti-war struggles, uh, you know, and we partner with organization with funded national organizations and do projects where, uh, groups with groups that can afford to help raise funds to cover both some of our time, but we also have a shop and that we work out of enrichment. And, uh, so we do funded projects and that, uh, covers the expense of our shop and materials and that allows us to do a lot of projects where groups you know like around the gaza stuff we've been sometimes getting uh just materials and we also do a lot of uh projects for groups that are completely unfunded low-wage workers or high school groups where we actually uh, donate supplies as well as our time and space so we've sort of figured are trying to figure out a doing some stuff with funded groups, nonprofits, and unions that can pay us to allow us to do uh, less funded stuff with uh, more grassroots parts of the movements. Got it, got it. All right, we're going to have to wrap up. Before we hit record on this conversation, David, you were telling me about some resources that you're making publicly available, and I'm wondering if you can um, describe that for our folks who are listening, and we'll make sure to have a link to that on our website and and show notes. Uh, yeah, I've just I've just been uh, putting up some images that folks can download, print out, paste up, or put in their windows around uh, ceasefire from myself and other artists. And I'm also starting to put uh, uh, art kit instructionals about how to do a street mural, how to do wheat pasting or uh, hand cut your own letters out and wheat paste them up, which is a project we did recently. Uh, there's a, a link, which is bit.ly slash ceasefireart, and that has everything up on it. Or you can also access it through my Instagram, which is my name, David, S-O-L-N-I-T. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, David. We're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much, and thanks for uh, lifting up the arts and the culture. Much love. Our pleasure, as always, in struggle. That's the voice of this week's Resistance in Residence artist, David Solnit. He's an arts organizer, screen printer, banner maker, anti-war activist, direct action organizer, and author. Mm -hmm.
You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. Our Resistance and Residence theme music was composed by Jesse Strauss. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listeners. If you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. 